wasn't very long ago I began to wonder about the glory of God. What is the glory? Uh, how does His glory affect me? Uh, what, how do we affect His glory? Um, you know, because there's the scriptures that refer to things a different way, like we should do things for His glory, but it's because of His glory. So I just really began to ask questions, and I felt like God directed me to this scripture in, in Matthew chapter 10. Um, by the way, as I get into today's message, you can get the notes from the uh, Version Bible app. Uh, the, there's a, a live event for our church there with the notes. Also, the uh, church's app, if you look up the Lantana Church, you'll find the app and the notes are in there as well. All right, Matthew 10, 1. Uh, this is where God took me. Uh, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. As you go, verse 7, as you go, he said, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. When I read this passage, it was like God stopped me. Just, um, it, was, it was a strange sensation because it was as if God said, this is what I want to do for you and for your church. And I thought, that's awesome because listen to what, heal the sick, raise the dead, raise the dead. I mean, uh, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. All of these things that we read in the Scripture, and it seems like a lot of times we're reading about these things happening in, in some other uh, place, you know, even at some other time. And God said He wants to do that for us. So it wasn't really very long as, as God helped me to begin formulate this that he, I realized He was talking about these things happened in His glory. It's for His glory that they happen, and it's in His glory that makes them possible. And I realize it is essential for us as followers of Christ to understand what His glory is. So last week we, we had an introduction. We talked about it. To understand His glory, it's not about us. We live in an egocentric society. We are a self-centered people, but His glory is not about us. Everything is about His glory. And so what is God's glory? We gave a definition to um, the singular splendor of God and its consequences for mankind. The singular splendor of God and its consequences for mankind. Sounds like a, a great, simple definition, right? And it is. But when we begin to try to define it, still, what does that, that mean? It, it would be really hard to describe His glory without using the characteristics of God, the, who He is. We talked about Shekinah. Shekinah glory. Shekinah means the indwelling glory. It is the visible glory of God. We're talking about the dwelling glory. Um, God's Shekinah glory was in the pillar of fire, for instance, that led the Israelites in, out of Egypt in the Old Testament. We also came to the conclusion that it is in God's glory and for God's glory that miracles happen. It's pretty interesting. God's glory exists God's presence exists in His glory, and His glory is in His presence. So we're trying to, to help people, help us all understand what His glory is. If we want to see God moving through miracles, if we want to see what He promised the disciples, what He told the disciples to do, heal the sick, raise the dead, heal the those with leprosy, all, all of the things that he said to do. 
All that's going to happen in his glory. So it makes sense then that if we want to see those things, we have got to be in his glory. So as, as we're going through all this, I began to think, um, well, what about Jesus? What kind of glory is Jesus' glory? What kind of glory would we expect to see if we saw Jesus? Now, I don't know about you, that's uh, one of the things that I look forward to. I, I can't wait till I can stand in front of Jesus face to face and look at him and thank him for what he did for me. Like, that's going to be an exciting day. When we do that, though, what is, what kind of glory can we expect to see? We've been talking about God. We talked last week a little bit, and we'll talk more next week about Moses, who saw God's glory from behind, and his face was so radiant they couldn't look at him. Like those, is it going to be that kind of glory? What is his glory? The glory that we can expect to see from Jesus is exactly the same as of the Father. Now, we've also talked at our church about the idea, the truth, really, that Jesus is a spirit-filled uh, person. He was fully human. Remember that. He set his deity aside and lived spirit-sourced. And if that's the case, then how is it that we're going to see his, how does Jesus have glory? Uh, it's something we need to reconcile. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And this is what it says about Jesus. Who being in very nature God, and if you, if you get into the Greek there, the word very nature also means in the form of. So we can read it like this. Who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how do we reconcile the two? How do we take God... Jesus, who is God, but set his divinity aside and, and became human, says right here in the scripture, but revealed his glory over and over again. And, and if you read it, sometimes it was reluctantly, sometimes it was to his, his friends, his, the disciples, um, sometimes it was for everyone to see, but still his glory was revealed. I think maybe let's take a step back, if you will, and, and try to answer this question. Who did the disciples believe Jesus was? Who did they believe he was? Um, keep in mind that Jesus to the disciples, especially in the, in the beginning, was, was a teacher. They saw him as a teacher. He was, he was a good teacher. He was a, a rabbi, uh, one who John the Baptist called the anointed one of God, the Messiah. But nonetheless, he, they saw him as a teacher that... It was different, though. They felt a compelling tug when he came to talk to them and, and ask them to follow him. Something about his spirit, the Holy Spirit, drew them to him. Some of the disciples asked their friends to come and see, hey, see this man, this rabbi, he's amazing. And they would come away kind of having felt the same, that maybe he is the Messiah. There was something else that was different about Jesus, though. The longer he hung around them, the more they listened to him, the more they realized he was no ordinary rabbi. They realized he was no ordinary 
teacher, no ordinary person. In fact, their opinion about the Messiah began to change to who he was because they had, uh, um, like most Jews, they expected the Messiah to come and, and bring glory back to the nation of Israel to defeat the Romans and glory was going to come back and they were going to rise up and be this tr tremendous nation again. That's what they expected. But as they got to know Jesus, their expectations began to change of who the Messiah might be because they're saying, this guy has to be the Messiah, but this isn't, what he teaches is not what we thought. He changed their preconceptions. So try to put yourself into the sandals of those reading about Jesus for the very first time. I mean, understand what they knew, what they were wrestling with, who they thought the Messiah to be. If you read in John 17, 24, it talks about how Jesus reveals his glory. He said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now, coming back to our original question, how can Jesus, who is fully human, spirit source, but fully human, how can he say, I want those you have given me to be with me to see my glory? How can he lay claim to the glory? I wrestled with this, to be honest. He goes on to say, the glory you have given me the glory was actually God's glory. God gave the glory to Jesus who represented the glory. The focus of this verse is actually the experience of seeing the glory of Jesus. When the disciples reach their destiny in the end, they will realize more completely the incredible person that Jesus is, who they've been following. His glory who has been from the Father since before creation. See, we're like the post-resurrection Paul. If you remember, uh, he says, he, he had a glimpse, a little glimpse of the reality. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, now I see as, as through a dimly lit, as, as a dirty mirror, I, I see a little bit. I'm getting a glimpse of it, Paul said. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. In the end, I'll see more fully. The disciples... In this part of John, it's, it's the f a farewell address that Jesus is giving them because he's getting, he's, this is at the Last Supper, right before he's crucified. So Jesus is giving them this farewell address, and they're in this fog. They don't, they don't see it yet. They don't, they don't understand what he's saying yet. Afterwards, when John wrote the book, he realized that they were in this fog, and at some point the fog was going to lift, and they would understand a little more clearly. He understood that the followers of Jesus would one day understand that Jesus was talking about his glory, and it's his glory that we will share in. Uh, John chapter 17, again, this time verse 22 and 23, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. In this part of the discourse, if you read John 17, it's awesome. He's, he uses this that people would know who he was by the oneness of his followers. How unified they were would be an example to the world of, how, of who Jesus was. It speaks to us as a church. There's a whole other sermon there. We won't get on that one now, but... 
So how is it that Jesus, back to that, a spirit-sourced human can have glory? I gotta tell you, it's the same way that we can. And this is awesome and, and it's scary all at the same time. God, through the impartation of the Spirit, has given Jesus His glory. And if we live as Spirit-sourced, we can have that same glory. The glory in, in Matthew that Jesus says, He imparts on them the power to do these miraculous signs comes because of the Spirit, His glory indwelling in us, and it's the same glory that Jesus had who was what, what was given to Him from God. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're hearing that, but listen, understand this, and I hope that maybe there's some amens in the living room. It's okay to do that. I, I hope there is, because the, that's going to reveal Christ to others. If Jesus had to pick one miracle... One thing to do, one grandiose thing that everybody would get to know His glory. His glory is going to be revealed through this thing. What would we think? Maybe a resurrection? Maybe feeding several thousand? Maybe healing somebody who's dying? Maybe casting a, the devil out of a demon-possessed man? One of those things? If it was me, it for sure would be one of those big things. Like, oh, look, it's time to shine, and I'm going to raise this person from the dead. All of these things Jesus did, but they are not the action of the self-revelation of His glory that He did. When it came time for Him to, to reveal His glory to the world, it happened at Cana. <laughs> Unexpected, seemingly inconsequential revelation of His glory at a wedding. Jesus is 30 years old. He goes to a family wedding ceremony that his mother is likely a part of, and at, at the very least, she's one who's provided food and planning. She had, she had a, a part of, in some way. And, and his mother, so his mother isn't just a guest. Somehow she's connected to the wedding party. We don't know all the details, but, but we know that. Every Jewish woman related to the parties would have some role to play in putting the wedding together. Big party, big celebration. And these things were, were intense, man. They would last up to seven days. It, it would be a long celebration. I know that uh, in our culture, we celebrate, you know, half a day, or at least uh, for the guys. The girls, they start early in the morning. They get all dressed and hair done and all that. And then, um, so it's a full day. But, but here it would be seven days. In, in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, says that Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, okay? So Jesus' mom is, is part of the planning of the wedding. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Jesus might have been related to the person. We don't know exactly. And, and so that's the wedding at Cana. So let's read that together. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out 
the water, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn, drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so we've established that the disciples that, and Jesus, they were invited to this wedding, probably because his mother had a role in the wedding. Now, Mary comes to Jesus with the problem. The, the wine had run out on the third day. I mean, we're talking about a wedding that's going to last maybe seven days. So this is a major deal. Um, it, it was probably going to go another four days, and they had already run out. They, it, was, it was crazy. It would have been like running out of wedding cake on the wedding day, or, you know, you run out of hors d'oeuvres for half the guests. It would have been a major social boo-boo. Like, it, it would have been talked about, and, and everybody at the well would have been gossiping about, oh, can you believe they ran out of wine? Since Mary, Jesus' mother, is part of the wedding banquet, she has a dilemma. She needs to take care of this. Now, it doesn't say this. Mary approached Jesus, but as far as we know, he had done no miracles yet. She knew who he was, but she didn't know what role he would play necessarily. It's very possible that she was just coming to him and saying, hey, listen, we ran out of wine. Can you go get some for us? She might have just had the expectation that he and the disciples would like pull some money together and go to a vendor in the city and, and get some wine and bring it back. I mean, I don't know about you, but my mom's done that to me. Like, hey, Cal, I've got a problem. Would you go fix this for me? I need you to take care of this. Come on, Cal, I need to fix. Oh, I'm in a bind. Come on, help me. Still, I'll get calls from her today. Cal, my computer, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, Mom, did you reboot it? <laughs> <laughs> a little premature laugh there. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, mom still deals with that with me today. It's, it's, just, how, it's just what a mom does. And Ma, Mary and Jesus, mother and son. <coughs> Jesus, I know you're invited guests, but can you give me a hand? We've got an embarrassing situation. Please help us. Fix this, please. Jesus replies, interesting. He says, woman, why do you involve me? It's not my problem. This is, this is not my deal. If we didn't already know the story, we might just say he's expressing a boundary. Hey, listen, it's not my problem. This, this is your problem. Then he says something really interesting. He says, my time has not yet come. The station got, that uh, statement got my attention. Um, other versions, my hour has not yet come. I am not ready to reveal my glory yet. It, it indicates for Jesus that an hour is coming. Interesting, right? His, his time hasn't come yet. His hour is not here, but it is coming. A determined course, which has not yet been settled on, is approaching. Something's going to happen. It gives us a foreshadow. This term is, uh, uh, refers to the time of uh, eschatological fulfillment. Eschatology, the, the study of the end time, it's an end time fulfillment. And most characteristically refers to Jesus' glorification. His death, in other words, his resurrection, his ascension, his glorification. After the, re the rebuke, after he rebukes her, which is strange, I would never do that, Mom. 
you're watching. His mother tells the servants, which she has command over them, right? So we know she has some authority. She tells them, hey, you do what he says. Whatever he says, that's what you do. If he says get some money and go buy some wine, if he, whatever he says, she must have some other responsibilities to take care of and says Jesus is going to handle this. Now, here's the improbable part. I mean, if Jesus is going to do a miracle, and, and it's going to be such an inconsequential type of miracle, at least he can do it big, right? He doesn't just make like 60 bottles of wine. He makes what would be the equivalent of like 60 cases of wine. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of gallons of wine. And, and there's a whole other thing about the purification jars that we won't get into now. So there's some other things going on here, but at the end of the day, he's, he's just making wine. So what's the significance of God's glory, can you imagine, being revealed through the making of wine? What's the significance there? What's, what's, the, what's the thing? Really, wine? Jesus couldn't have chosen some kind of a big, flashy, awesome miracle instead of one that just probably led to these folks having a good time for a few more days? Remember, though, that Jesus did nothing thoughtlessly. He didn't do anything just haphazardly. His actions were in, intentional. That he chose to enliven a party needs to give us some, some reason to think. What, because the party would have been over, probably. But the, he chose to, 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 in, to lengthen the party, enliven it for them. It just didn't seem like the right time. The right place. Everything was off, right? So what's the reason? Man, the reason is so simple. For the disciples to see his glory. That's it. That's the end result. His glory has been revealed. The disciples get to see his glory. Jesus' miracle, it was the first miracle. They wouldn't have really known yet maybe they could, would have been talking about it, but they wouldn't have known exactly what Jesus was capable of. And, and then they saw this. Its meaning is found in the profound impact it had on his disciples. What happened at Cana is the first revelation of who Jesus did. In fact, the Bible says, John says, it's the first of his signs, and then if you, you can count the signs in John, there is, there's seven of them, and that's a whole nother thing. John's full of, of surprises that way, so there's seven signs. The eighth sign in John is Jesus being raised from the dead. We talked about that at Easter. It's, it's the beginning of a new day. It's a new creation. It's a new, Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law. So the first, you know, seven signs, and now the eighth, it's a new day. Under Jesus, under his death and resurrection, we have a, a ability for a new life. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. His glory was manifest, it was revealed. That is, who he is as a spirit source individual was revealed and it led them to putting their faith in him. Okay, so, so, so what? So what's the point? Here's where we're at and, and, and we're about to, to wrap up here. Faith in God and Jesus is not a static event. Our faith and relationship in, in Him is growing and dynamic. Jesus revealed His glory 
to the disciples here and and it began a journey for them a journey that began with a you know a, a partial belief to a full belief to a they died for him belief you see it's a journey it's, it's not static and the faith i have today is not the same faith i had in second grade it's not the same faith I had in college. It's not the same faith I had five years ago. It's growing. It's dynamic. And so I think there's levels of faith, and this is what I want us to take away from this today. There's the first stage when we believe based on the testimony of somebody else. Somebody else gives a testimony we're witness to. We read our Bible, our parents, our teachers, somebody. Our pastor tells us that he loves us, and we believe what we've heard. First stage. Second stage, we experience Jesus for ourselves. When we hear him in prayer, when we hear him in the Bible, when we talk with him and we know that we know that we know that he's there, we've experienced Christ and we know. Then there's stage three. There's a Cana experience. Much like what the disciples experienced in Cana. They've heard about Jesus. They've talked with him. They've gotten to know him. They've spent time with him. Suddenly, the relationship changes, and it becomes so much more, and we begin to realize it. it's not just a belief based on somebody else's. It's not just that we've experienced Christ. It's that the glory of God, his spirit, indwells within us. He's no longer just a teacher. He's no longer just a good person. He's more than just a friend. He is God. He is Messiah, and he has the works to prove it, and his spirit fills us, and we can show share in that glory so where's your faith today that's my question where's your faith today I think most of us are stuck in stage one and two to be honest I think we're most stuck in stage one and two this is why I think it's so very important that we pray for his glory to be revealed in our church. And I know you might be saying, well, hey, we're not a church yet. Listen, church is not the building. Church is us. When Jesus talks about building his church, the word he uses is ecclesia. It means a gathering of people with a, a similar goal. It's a similar um, interest. It's a gathering of people. It's us. So we're spread out across the country today. His glory can be revealed through the church and the unity we have. And when we gather back together, my prayer is for His glory to be revealed in this place. He wants so much more for us. So today, will, will you pray with me? God, I want your glory. I want your glory to be revealed in this place. I want your glory to be revealed in my life. I want to be filled with you. I want to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that allows me the same power that you gave Jesus in the, and then Jesus gave the disciples. Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you gave me, God. The same glory. That glory will impact our lives. So Jesus is more than an experience. He becomes a lifestyle. Will you make that our prayer? God, we today are just asking 
for your glory to fall in this place, to fall in our lives. Can we experience the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit? Would you send your Shekinah glory today across this place to everybody who's listening and watching uh, right now, Father, that they would begin to feel that overwhelming sense of, of, of warmth and love that you have, that we move from stage one to stage two to stage three, that we end in a place where your glory falls, where it's not just an experience with you, where, where it's more than we know about you and that you have, uh, we have experienced Jesus, and we've heard you talk to us, but now we are indwelled with your Spirit. Let your glory fall in this place. Fall in my life. Fall in our lives. May we be brought together with such unity, like Jesus prayed, that the world would know your glory. Would you begin to heal people through us, God? Would you begin to... Uh, let people be raised from the dead. I don't even know what that looks like, that uh, people who have walked away from you will see our lives and want to be changed. God, I don't know, but whatever that glory is, fill us in your son's name we pray. Amen.